This morning as we look at Nehemiah chapter 9, I cannot stress enough how important this chapter is to this book. It is the very heart of the book of Nehemiah, in fact. The book of Nehemiah does not climax when the wall is finished. It climaxes in the prayer and the hope that God will restore His sinful people. We will learn as we read this chapter that the people stood and listened to the law of God being read for at least four hours. It says a quarter of the day. So even if we're only talking about daylight hours, they stood and listened to the people read the word for four hours. And then after they had heard the word of God for four hours, they stood for another four hours and confessed their sin and worshiped God. All day long, they stood before the Lord as a penitent people, a broken people, and a people in need of deliverance. And we are exactly like them. For you to be able to get into what is going on in Nehemiah chapter 9, what you need to understand this morning is that this is your people. This is our history. It's not a foreign history. This is our history. Abraham is our father. Israel is our people. And their sins are ours and ours are theirs because we do the same things which they do. So I'm going to read this morning. It's going to be a long read. But I want you to do your best to listen. They listened for four hours. I'm only asking about seven minutes from you right here. Because what we are going to review here is the history of the people of Israel up to the time of Nehemiah. It is a psalm. It is a poem. You will notice that it is indented on the right in most of your Bibles, your copies of God's Word, starting in about verse 4 or 6. So they sang this psalm. They said it as a poem. And it was to review the history of their people. I'm looking forward to speaking with you about this passage this morning because I believe there's much for us to learn from it. Let me begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chanani stood on the raised platform built for the Levites and cried out loudly to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Heshebaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathiah said, Stand up, blessed be the Lord your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be, may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens, with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and all of the stars of heaven worship you. You, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and you changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight, and you made a covenant with him. To give the land of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. To give it to his descendants. 
You have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. You saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You divided the sea before them, and they crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into raging water. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions and good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commandments, statutes and instructions through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger and you brought water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. And you did not abandon them. Even after they had made an image of a calf for themselves and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they had committed terrible blasphemies. You did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness 40 years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and peoples and established boundaries for them. They took possession of the land of King Sihon of Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like the stars of the sky and you brought them to the land you told their ancestors to go in and possess. So their descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them and handed their kings and surrounding peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. They captured fortified cities and fertile land and took possession of well-supplied houses, cistern cut out of rocks, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate, were filled, became prosperous, and delighted in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. In their time of distress, they cried out to you and you heard from heaven. In your abundant compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again... You heard from heaven, you rescued them many times in your compassion. 
You warned them to turn back to your law, but they acted arrogantly and would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live by if he does them. They stubbornly resisted, stiffened their necks, and would not obey. You were patient with them for many years. Your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. So now, our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps His gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors and all our peoples from the days of the Assyrian kings until now. You are righteous concerning all that happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and warnings you gave them. When they were in their kingdom, with your abundant goodness that you gave them, and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Hence, we are today slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that, we could in, so that they could enjoy its fruit and goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. Why did Israel confess the sins of their fathers? By the time of Nehemiah and this great confession, it had been 1,000 years since Moses led the children of Israel into the promised land, and they are still confessing the sin of the golden calf. 1,000 years ago from our time frame, it was the year 1020. Angles and Saxons still ruled England. It would be 46 years before William the Conqueror came. Do you feel the need to confess the sins of your Anglo-Saxon descendants from 1020? Do you even know what they did? In fact, it would be over 500 years. Think about this. In 1020, it would be 500 years before anybody even spoke your language. Your language did not exist in 1020. They're confessing sins a thousand years old. We are as close now to the Reformation and Martin Luther as they were in 1020. We are as close now almost to Christopher Columbus sailing to America as they were. In fact, they were closer. They were 600 years removed from the time of King David and even further removed from the time of the judges where the people sinned against God. Hundreds of years. How does this confession make any sense at all? None of the people standing there had refused to go into the promised land with Moses. None of them had had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. None of them had bowed down to the golden calf. None of them had been disobedient in the days of the judges. What possible purpose could it be to make such a confession? Why would they say 
these sins back to the Lord after such a long time. Would you confess them? Would you confess that these, your fathers, committed these sins? Would you say, my fathers saw the plagues of Egypt and doubted God? My fathers knelt before the golden calf. My fathers disobeyed the Lord and cast his law behind their backs. Would you own their sin like these did? Now let me ask you another question. Would you confess this? I have seen the plagues of the land of Egypt. I have seen the deliverance of my people, and I have doubted God. I bowed down before the golden calf. I have bowed the knee and kissed the bells. I disobeyed the Lord and cast his law behind my back. The people of Israel here in Nehemiah's day saw that the sins of their fathers had an effect on their community to that day. When Achan coveted the gold of the city of Jericho and stole it, innocent men died in battle who had nothing to do with their sin. The sin of one man polluted the entire community. The Word of God gave instruction. If you find a man murdered and you don't know who did it, you have to make sacrifice and say, our hands are clean of this murder, lest this murder, this crime defile the whole land. One man's guilt brings shame and destruction to an entire community. They fled before the armies of Ai because Achan stole gold and silver and hid it in his tent. The reason that they stood and confessed the sins of their fathers is because they were guilty of the same sins their fathers had committed, even if they were not the exact same sins. Does not the apostle Paul say in the book, well, it could have been Paul in Hebrews, but that when Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, that we were there with him. The Bible says in his loins. It was as if we had sinned. And in fact, when Abraham tithed the Melchizedek, it said it is exactly like Levi tithing the Melchizedek, Melchizedek being the greater priest than Levi. These sins which we commit have an effect, a lasting effect on us. And even if we don't sin in the same manner as our forefathers did, the same impulses, the same sins, the same desires are there as well. Had you been in that garden, you would have eaten that fruit, and indeed you have. The reason that they stood and confessed their sin because they recognized that the sins of their fathers were their own sins. Over and over again, the same failures happened. They knew they were guilty as well. This is the history of our people. The church and Israel are not triumphant because we are so great. The church is triumphant because God never abandons us. The people of Nehemiah's day were guilty as were their fathers before them. See, the deeds of the Old Testament are not mere morality tales about somebody else. This is your people, your family connected by faith. 
Abraham is our father. Israel is our brother. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. This is our people. This is our history. Because by faith we are joined to them. These saints who have gone before. These stories are alive and active today. These stories are not meant to simply teach and instruct us about the follies of the people of Israel of their sordid history. These stories are meant to instruct us of our follies and of our own sordid history. Every one of us, like Aaron casting the golden calf, have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. There is none righteous, no, not one. To confess their failure is to confess our own. Even if we do not sin in the exact likeness of theirs, they had their golden calf and you've got yours. I've got mine. Brothers and sisters, consider this. If the story of your life were inspired by God to be written by a prophet, what words would be contained? What deeds would be placed where they would see that you too have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Would you be able to enter this place without shame if all your life were recorded in sacred writ? If your life and mine were written as theirs is, you would find that my faith in yours is as fragile as theirs and that your failures and mine are as as audacious as theirs were. I am no different nor any better than my father's. And like them, the entire point is I need a God who saves and never abandons. For when I act wickedly, he is faithful. I need a God who sees me. Remember Hagar despised her master Sarah? after she conceived with Ishmael. And Sarah treated her roughly, the Bible says, and she was angry and left. Hagar had despised her, and she was wandering in the desert because of her rebellion and how she had acted arrogantly towards Sarah. There was plenty of sin to go around. And the Lord came to her, showed her a well of water, and he says, "You," she said to him, you are the God who sees me. He did not abandon her in the wilderness. She needed a God who saw her, and you do too. You need a God who forgives. Abraham needed forgiveness. He gave away his wife two times. Moses needed a God who forgave. He murdered a man and hid his body in the sand. He struck the rock out of anger and did not give God glory and was not allowed into the promised land, but now dwells in heaven with his Lord because his father never abandoned him. He forgave him. And we need a God who will bring us home again. That was the cry of the people in the Old Testament. They wanted to come home to Israel, bring our people back. But the land of Israel was only a foretaste and a foreshadowing of the home we have in heaven. Lord, gather us to heaven. Gather your people. We need a God who will bring us home. I need a God who will bring me home. Do you need that sort of God? That's what this confession is about. That's what this book is about.
The people of Nehemiah's day were guilty as their fathers before them. In fact, we're going to find in the remainder of this book after this great climax of committing, of saying, Lord, our fathers did this, our fathers did that, and here we are, slaves in our land. The rest of the book is going to be about this people breaking the law of God. This people who God had redeemed and brought back, this people whom God had built the wall before their very eyes are going to commit the exact same sins they just confessed. Nehemiah is going to go around the town pulling beards and smacking people. But that's not an exaggeration. He literally pulls their beards and smacks them around. He is undone that they have sat and confessed the thousands of years of iniquity of their fathers and have turned around themselves and done the exact same thing. He's barely going to get out of town before they give Tobias a room in the temple of God. This confession is not to say we are better than our fathers. This confession is to say, Lord, if you don't help us like you help them, we are dead meat. The people of Nehemiah's day were guilty and they saw themselves in the sins of their ancestors. They can identify with their failures. Their great, disastrous, terrible, blasphemous failures. They see that. Their hope is not that they are better than their fathers. Their hope is that their God is as consistent with them as he was with their fathers. Look at these, this pattern we see here. God makes a big promise to Abraham and his people go into slavery for 400 years, but God did not forget them and he delivered them. He delivered them with a great hand out of Egypt. And what did they do? They forgot all the wonders which he had done before them and refused to go into the promised land. And in fact, they elected a leader to take them back to Egypt to be slaves again. And what did God do? He stuck with them. The pillar of fire by night never vanished, and the smoke by day never left. Though they walked in the wilderness for 40 years, there was not a single day that the Lord's presence was not with His sinful people. He never left them. And their cries, Lord, don't leave us either. When they finally were delivered into the promised land, they entered into the time of judges. You know what happened there? They rebelled against the Lord. Even their leaders rebelled against the Lord. Abraham failed. Moses failed. Israel failed. David failed. What was David's failure? They were a bunch. The judges failed. Samson failed. Saul, the king of Israel, failed. Peter failed. There's not a single one of them that didn't fail. You read their stories and go, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Peter, why would you deny Jesus three times? What's the matter with you? Saul, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you wait till Samuel got there so he could offer sacrifice? What are you doing? Why are you going to the witch of Endor? By the way, I think a great name for a short story is Saul and the witch of Endor. Sounds like he would do as well as the Lord of the Rings to me. Why would you go to the witch of Endor? What are you doing? 
David, what are you doing with Bathsheba? You've got a dozen wives. What are you doing? They all fail and fall short of the glory of God. And you're not to look at them and think, why is this included? Why, when Mark is writing, does he make sure, under the direction of Peter, that his denial is in there? Or, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Because when you deny Jesus, and when you fail, you have to realize that you're no different than him. That's your brother. Abraham's your father. You're made in his image and in the image of God. And you fail like them. I I confess today, I have sinned just as my father David sinned. I've sinned like Abraham, failed like Samson, denied like Peter. And I am under no illusion that because I possess their faults that I also have their gifts. I am not better than them, not one bit, and none of us here are. However, we serve the same God. That's the point. There are no heroes here today, and there are no heroes in the Bible except one, and that is God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he sent to save us. I serve the same master as Peter and as those wicked people in the days of the judges. I would have wandered in the wilderness with those fathers. I am not better than them. I would have griped about the manna. I would have complained about Moses' leadership. I just hope I wouldn't have joined Korah in his rebellion and fell down into hell. God was faithful to all these people. Even after the children of Israel in this book, after all they've been through and all their deportations, they are going to do the same thing their fathers did. And the Lord still brings Jesus through them and still cares for them to this day. This morning, what we need to understand is that we are not better than the people in the Bible. And we need the same Savior they had. And the only hope that we have is that this God remains as faithful to us as he was to them every single day. When we fail, he never fails. When we are faithless, he is faithful And when the children of Israel cried out, without fail, he delivered them. Without fail. He is compassionate and kind, and his mercy endures forever. That's what we need. This confession can be our confession. doesn't matter if it was a thousand years or two thousand years or four thousand years. It's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. But the Lord, even today, he says in his word that all day long, all day long, he's held out his hands to a stiff-necked and stubborn people. And you know what he's doing today? He's holding out his hands to a stiff-necked 
and stubborn people. And if you cried to him for deliverance today, just like Nehemiah's day, just like in the day of the judges, he will hear it from heaven and he will deliver you. Confess it and he will deliver. Let's pray.